country in motion. Let's pray. Lord, we look at this activity, and it is bewildering to us in its complexity. And as we reflect on it today, we are drawn to thank you not only for what you did then for the people of Israel, but thank you now for the simplicity of worship, for the completed work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Guide us today as we look at these things, as we consider their priesthood, Jesus' priesthood, and ours. And we ask this in his name. Amen. The tabernacle was not a monument. God told the Israelites at various points in their history, and we have seen some of those. Uh, Some of them we have seen in Genesis. Some of them we have seen in Exodus as we've moved along to establish monuments or to establish memorials, a cairn, a stack, a pile of stones that might be a remembrance of a particular appearance of God, a particular act of God along the way. Monuments are still and static. But the tabernacle, to borrow a phrase from another part of Scripture, which is very relevant, the tabernacle was living and active. It's mobile. Last week, I I quoted from Vern Poitras his description that the tabernacle is a tantalizing visual poem. Well, if it is, in fact, a poem, it is actually then poetry in motion. A lot of times, perhaps, when we think of the tabernacle, we consider the various parts of it. We, We think about the wash basin or the Holy of Holies, or the Ark, or the Mercy Seat on top of the Ark. We think of particular parts and try to understand those particular parts and what meaning they have for us, what description they give us of the life of Christ. But there is a fluidity of the tabernacle, like a river, like an ocean that never stops moving but is continually dancing about and giving you different angles, different reflections that come from the sun. So, so the tabernacle communicated its truth and had its ministry in moving parts. So you can't look at a part individually, statically. You have to see all of them in motion together. So a cloud that would come down and dwell in a particular place and then move as the people moved to another place. People and priests who were milling about in the area, the washings, the sacrifices, the bringing things in, the taking things out, the smoke, the fire, the eating. There were all sorts of activities that were continually and regularly going on in this tabernacle. It was poetry in motion, but albeit a, a, a grim poetry in motion with all of the blood being spilt and sprinkled and thrown and smeared. A dizzying dance of beauty and of brutality took place at the tabernacle. As we look at then that theme today, I want to do it the same way that I've done all of these uh, sermons. I want to look at 
this in the context of Israel, and then for Jesus, and then for us. Of course, the people of Israel at this time especially were a people on the move. We know that. They were a people who were headed to the land that God had promised them, and in fact, it would turn out to be a journey of some 40 years. They were wilderness people looking for that place that God would give, and God, in the meantime, provides them with a mobile presence, a mobile sanctuary to travel along with them. I loved MASH as a kid, and to reflect on the idea of a mobile army surgical hospital in the Korean War, well, God provided something of that for His people, the Israelites, in the midst of the wilderness. Say, I've got a, I've got a mobile tent, and it's going to house the place of my presence, the place of my law, the place of my worship with you as you travel around. Everyone's going to have a role in the motion of this tabernacle. Now, for, for many, that would have been simply bringing offerings to it or observing the motions that went on. But of course, for the Levites, for the children of Aaron, they were called to specifically minister within that tabernacle. And I did not try to call through Exodus or Leviticus to come up with all of these, but it's, a, it's an amazing list of verbs that describe the actions of the priesthood as it relates to the temple, the tabernacle. They were consecrating, anointing, washing, entering, exiting, taking, carrying, burning, killing, eating, moving, throwing, removing, and all number of other activities. The broadest term that can be used biblically speaking, and and this is one, of course, that we know well, to describe what the priests are doing before God for the people at the tabernacle is they are serving. That's the word that is used most frequently. With their serving before God, they represented the people and they interceded for the people of God. According to Numbers chapter 3, the priests were to minister and guard Aaron and the tabernacle amongst the duties that were assigned to them. Minister and guard Aaron and the tabernacle. Now let me change those English words for a moment, but they're the exact same Hebrew words. The priests were to work or to tend and keep the tabernacle. You see those words? Those words should remind you of something. In other words, the priests had as a summary command the exact same command that was given to Adam with reference to Eden, to the first holy ground that God had established. Adam, we, we kind of can quickly go in our minds to think that Adam was a gardener in the first place, that that was God's calling for him. Well, clearly, he had gardening work to do. But before Adam was a gardener, he was a priest. He was to lead a planet in the worship of God and to develop that planet for the worship of God, to develop this holy ground and to to serve in this holy place that God was going to not only establish there, but to extend 
and fill around the entire earth. J.V. Fesco gave me that insight along with some others. But in theory, with the development of the priesthood, as God has now developed this in the book of Exodus, it really wasn't clear prior to Exodus that there was this priesthood. In fact, at one point, the priests show up along the way, and you kind of go, where did they come from? And we're getting more explanation for the priesthood as we move along here. But in theory, with all of their moving, ministering, serving in the tabernacle, we have solved, or rather we could say that God has solved through this ministry of the priesthood, the problem that was created by sin. So removed from the initial holy ground, the initial temple tabernacle, because of sins, separated from God, separated from the creation, now holy ground reestablished by God, the tabernacle in the midst of the people, and a priesthood able to minister within that particular place seems to have resolved the problem that was created by man's fall into sin. We've restored fellowship with God. Sin is ameliorated by the priesthood and all of this motion, all of this activity that they are doing. But we have a problem because the priests don't have a good starting place. The the priests don't have a firm place to stand from which they can move the world. Because as it turns out, priests are like the rest of us. Priests are sinners as well. They're born in sin. They're guilty of sin. And so they're not only offering sacrifices for the people, but they're having to offer sacrifices for themselves as well because, as it turns out, they're part of the problem. Now let me just do a quick parenthesis here. It's the same case in the church today. No, we don't have priests like the Old Testament priesthood, but God has called out particular people, pastors, elders, deacons, to serve in the context of His church, to minister in a particular way. The problem is they're sinners. And so you you think back onto what's going on here in the tabernacle, and then you bring that forward and you begin to understand it. So So the problem of the priesthood, we immediately in Exodus are presented with this solution, the ministry of the priesthood, all of their movements, when the first activity that we see after these instructions are given is the failure of Aaron. So you get all of this hope. You get chapters 25 through 31 describing what this is going to be like. In the meantime, the guy who's going to be so beautifully dressed going into the Holy of Holies is down below making a golden calf. And you're kind of caught by the irony of the situation. Like, wait a minute, well, that's no solution. Or to pass by Aaron or to pass on from Aaron, you go to his sons, Nadab and Abihu. Now, we're not going to go and turn to this place in Scripture. But along the way, they create a strange fire. So from the last chapters that we read, I think it was last week, Particular ingredients were to be used by the Lord. You were not to be creative in the worship itself. You did it according to the way God said. 
these two guys come up with their own idea, and they die before the Lord as a result of it. Or, you know, continue on through the rest of the Old Testament with Eli's sons, and you can multiply the examples, and you can see that the solution has a problem. The solution is, in fact, the problem. But besides the priests themselves, we have another problem. Not only the priests are the problem, but the sacrifices that they are offering are ineffective. So they have to keep doing it over and over again. And thus the writer of Hebrews uses this to point out the inadequacy of this as a solution. When you come up with a solution to a problem, you don't need to keep doing it over and over again, the exact same thing. To be sure, there was lots of motion in the tabernacle, but it is motion running on a treadmill. It is trying to pump up your bike tire when there is a hole in the inner tube. It is trying to bail out your boat when the seams are leaking water. You're not getting anywhere. You're stuck. The activity, all of the activity that we see associated with the tabernacle is vanity. A built-in frustration, a built-in inadequacy to the system. But it wasn't an oversight. It wasn't as if God made a design and said, ah, that didn't work. I've got to try something else. That happens with us, right? We do a design. We try something. It doesn't work. We go, okay, let me go back to the drawing board with this. The poem is communicating this. You are supposed to understand this from the poem. They were supposed to understand this from the poem. They were supposed to be able to look at the poem, look at the poem, read the writings that explain the poem, and see, you know what? The best, the best man-made, even if it's God-directed, the best man-made solution to this problem of sin won't work. No matter how busy you are at the task, it's just not going to cut it. It was built into the system. It was part of the message of the system. This is the best you can do. I took the best people, I took the best materials, the best offerings, and I told you exactly how to do it. And you can't fix it. Therefore, the poem says, look, wait, and pray for another solution, because this one ain't cutting it. 1,500 years later, enter the Lord Jesus Christ, born not of a man, thus not born according to the priesthood of Adam, but rather born of the Holy Spirit. 
not only not of the priesthood of Adam, not of the priesthood of Aaron either. Rather, Jesus of the order of priesthood of Melchizedek. Introduced to us in the book of Genesis, reflected upon in Psalm 110, and picked up again by the writer of Hebrews. Jesus, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, a man without beginning or end. A different kind of priest. He is a man unstained by the fall. The first since Adam. The second true man. And thus we have these words that are written for us in the book of Hebrews and the significance of them in Hebrews chapter 7 where it says for us, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. We have to have a high priest that has a firm place to stand, and none of the sons of Adam do. Not one of them. We need somebody without beginning, without end, whose father is not Adam. Separated from sinners. He actively ministered during his life. In other words, he came as a servant, which is priest language. When you hear that describing Jesus, he's the one who serves. That's what priests do. He served. Jesus served us. He walked among us, declaring his word, healing the sick and cleansing, and ruling over Satan and demons. You got those, right? Declaring the word, the prophet, healing and cleansing the sick, the priest, ruling over Satan and his demons, the king. He's working for, he's guarding, he's interceding for us, he's praying for us. That's what our active priest, our active high priest Jesus does during his earthly life. His ministry is as a priest. And then the priest becomes the sacrifice, taking our sins upon himself and offering the innocent blood of a man. Not a blood of bulls and goats, tainted as they are, as all creation is by the fall, but the blood of an unstained man. And as a priest, he takes his own blood, not to the temple in Jerusalem, but rather to that which is the true holy place, after which the tabernacle, the temple were mere copies, and he takes it into the throne room of his Father, where we have recorded for us the great capstone of his priestly ministry. And you know what it is? The great, the great finish point of the priestly ministry of Jesus Christ takes place as he goes into the throne room and he 
He sits down. He sits down. He sat down. It's poetry in motion. Priests don't sit down. They don't stop. There are no seats. There are no pews. There are no resting spots within the tabernacle where you can stop, take a break, sit there for a while. Priests are busy. It's as if the priestly ministry was me giving to you a scrub brush and saying, you know what, there's graffiti all on the wall outside. Take care of it with a scrub brush. It's an oil-based paint. Just scrub at it. And in one hand, I give you the scrub brush, and in the other hand, I give you a can of oil-based spray paint. And you scrub them with one hand, and you spray them with the other. I can't do that very well. However, that works. Because the priests are dealing with their own sin. Now, not only are they dealing with their own sin, but guess what? There's 11 other guys out there with spray cans and without scrub brushes. In other words, 11 other tribes who aren't the priestly tribe. And all they're doing is spraying paint. Take care of it. You can never stop. And you can never get anywhere. That's the priestly ministry. Never stop, never get anywhere, and it gets worse. Go to it. Hebrews 10, 11 through 12. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. There they go again. They're standing at their service, doing it again. Vanity. It'll never take away sin. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. There's actually one seat in the tabernacle. There's just one. It's right above the Ark of the Covenant. Right between the cherubim. It's the mercy seat. And a cloud comes above it. But no priest sits on it. Until this priest comes. And doesn't sit on the one in the tabernacle. Doesn't sit on the one in the temple, not on one made of hands, but goes to the place itself. And a man sits down in the presence of God, having finished the work that his father gave him to do. One nation shall proclaim to another, one generation shall proclaim to another, Psalm 22, that he has done it. It's finished, was his cry. And he is able to perfect any who come through him. He sits there, perfectly interceding 
for us as our high priest. And that brings us to us. You can work your tail off to serve God, to ease your conscience, to try to cover up your sin, or conversely, you can try to cover that up in some other way. You can just kind of drown yourself in your work, drown yourself in social media, drown yourself in games, drown yourself in education, medicate yourself with all sorts of ways to try and cover up the sin. Either way, you are on a treadmill and you will make no progress. You will just keep spinning your wheels. You can't work away, you can't run away from your sin and your guilt. At the end of the days, what will happen is you will stand, stand before God, before the judgment seat. You stand, and you have two options. Either the one who sits beside says, Take that on me. His blood to my account. Where if you try and take care of it yourself, there will be no seat for you in that place. And you will never, ever have rest. We need a priest. And we need one who is perfect. And what the one priest wants is your faith. What the one priest wants is when he comes back to earth, will he find faith on earth? The priest wants you to receive the ministry that he has done for you. He is able, he is able, he is able to purify everyone of his own, everyone who comes to him to wash and cleanse. Now, having received the ministry of that one priest, we must recognize and apply something to us that's going to immediately sound contradictory to that. The priesthood culminated in our Lord Jesus Christ, the one and only high priest. No longer do we need a priest, and lo and behold, the Scripture takes time to remind us that we are, in fact, gathered by God, assembled by God, called out by God to be what? A royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. 1 Peter 2, 9, the book of Revelation tells us that as a result of the work of the one high priest on our behalf, we have been made to be a kingdom of priests. Well, what do priests do? Well, obviously, you and I are not supposed to be making incense, offering incense, offering sacrifices, and doing all sorts of ceremonial worship. Washings. What are we supposed to do? Well, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. What do priests do? They offer things to God. 
So Paul takes the language in Romans 12:1 and says, offer your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable body, your spiritual service of worship, everything that you do. Spiritual service of worship. That's what priests did. That's what you are to do as well. You are to serve and worship as the people of God. You do not need a gold-plated sign on your forehead that says, holy to the Lord. You are the saints of God, holy ones, declared holy by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now serve and worship Him as priests. The book of Revelation says this, 7.15, describing the the people around the throne. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night and his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. If you want to understand what heaven is like, you take the picture back in Exodus. You bring it forward to the completed work of Jesus Christ and you realize that a priesthood has been established, and what the priesthood is going to do for all eternity is to serve the one who sits on the throne. Let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. The very last chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, gives us this same picture once again. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. Serve and worship. It's what priests do. And with transformed hearts and transformed minds for all eternity, it becomes our absolute delight because we get sheltered in the presence of the Holy One. To be around Him is to be around life, light, joy, love, unspeakable. Priests guard. They guard their church. They guard their friends. They guard their family. Priests intercede. They pray for the world. The offerings that the Philippian church gives, Paul says, those those are like incense, sweet aroma going up to the Lord. The bowls of incense that we read about in the book of Revelation are the prayers of the saints, the prayers of thanksgiving. The prayers of intercession for the people we love, for the ones who are in Christ, for God's chosen people around the world, that they might come to know Him. So in the New Covenant, poetry in motion, the activity of the tabernacle has all been consolidated in Jesus, who worked as the high priest, moved as the high priest, walked as the high priest, and then sat been consolidated and diversified. So it is now not just the Levites who are engaged in priestly ministry, but the people of God mobilized, scattered, and dispersed around the world for the king and his kingdom. Let's pray.